Welcome to Advancing the Agenda. I'm your host, Michael Abramson, and today we will begin interviewing Republican candidates for nomination to be governor of Georgia. Our first candidate is Dr. Candace Taylor. Candace is a South Georgia native and has been employed as an educator for 19 years. Public service is not new to Dr. Taylor. She has served in a public school system as a third grade teacher, school counselor, testing coordinator, student services coordinator, and homeless liaison. Dr. Taylor is married to Ryan, Ryan Taylor, and together they share three school-aged children. She is passionate about the working class, mental health, less government overreach, education, small business growth, gun rights, our farmers, the economy, right to life, and election integrity. Candace, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. So we are going to ask you some standard questions in the first part of the interview. We're going to ask these of all the candidates. And in the second part, we'll cover topics that I didn't get to that you want to discuss. So my first question is, why did you decide to run for governor? Well, I decided to run for governor because I don't feel represented. And I was very frustrated with the 2020 election and that the whole state of Georgia, well, the majority of the state, was demanding some answers about a consent decree that was signed with our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and Stacey Abrams, who is not even in a seat, but yet she had that much power and control in our state to sign the consent decree. And just so many questions about drop boxes and, you know, pristine ballots being pulled out from under tables and being rescanned and just all the issues we saw with Georgia on national news. And I had just ran for U.S. Senate and I ran for U.S. Senate because I felt like we had career establishment politicians in there that didn't represent the interests of the people any longer. They're only, you know, representing themselves. And so I ran for U.S. Senate. And so I kind of had name recognition in the state and I wanted to run for my house seat. But then when all this debacle happened in the election, I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't sit here and not do something about it. And I'm an educator. You know, you mentioned that at the beginning, read my bio. And so the governor's budget in Georgia is 70% education. And I know where to cut and I know how to fix the issues that is, are facing our public schools right now. So I thought, well, this is a great fit and I'll give Georgia an option that won't be compromised. Okay, great. Well, what do you feel are your qualifications and greatest strengths? Well, I love Jesus. That's first. And I won't be bought off. I'm bought and played for with the blood of Christ and that's my greatest strength is I'm one of the people, I'm a taxpaying citizen, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a wife, and I just am normal as they come, you know, what it define normal, right? But just a normal person, not a political person. I'm not looking to go and make a career out of being a politician. I want someone to be a trustee and a public servant of the people. And I'm willing to put that forth and do that myself. I have a PhD in counseling. I mentioned I have 19 years in education. I'm still working full-time as an administrator at the Board of Education, but I've spent most of my career as a school counselor fighting for abused children and, and helping you know domestic violence victims and, and helping the homeless. I have a wonderful job. I've, I've gotten to save many lives and, and influence many situations in my career, and I want to do that at a larger level and, and help the state of Georgia. We have a huge opioid 
fentanyl crisis in Georgia. It's, that's the pandemic. More people have died from fentanyl overdose than they have from COVID. And we have a prison system that's falling apart. And that's just two of the issues. We also have issues in protecting our agriculture. Agriculture is our business in Georgia. And I'm from a South Georgia town and, and farming is, is top priority for me. So I have a lot to bring to the table. No, I don't have CEO experience. And, and that's been said to me many times. But like I mentioned, 70% of the budget is education. And I've got that under wrap. Okay, great. Well, this gives, I think, everybody a really good overview of you. Um, let's go into some specific questions. And... The first topic is COVID-19. I have three questions and then let you sort of go um, discuss it as you will. The first question is regarding vaccines. Should the government have a vaccine mandate for adults and or children? Absolutely not. We can't give an inch or they'll take a mile. Not to mention the fact that we have freedom and autonomy over our medical and over our bodies. And so not only is the medical trust with science, not showing the benefit of having these vaccines, mandating them on people that are having adverse reactions could be, could be tragic. And so the government should not get involved in those things. You know, the government was established to be of and by and for the people for, for oversight, not for overreach. And we have to push back on anything that would interfere with our personal bodily decisions and what we want to do in, in our own houses. And so we have to push back. We can't just bend the knee and say, okay, well, they know best. No, no. The government doesn't dictate our lives. They're there to oversee and, and make sure there's law and order. It's not for them to dictate and control. That's why we have America. Would, but are you okay with people taking the vaccine if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. That's their choice. However, I would like to make sure that they're fully educated on the vaccine, on the benefits and on the detriments and what it can cause. Because there's the flip side of the vaccines not being presented by mainstream media. And unless you follow conservative media and you're hearing all the different research that is being done and all the different people who are speaking out about their experiences, you wouldn't know and be to make an educated decision. So I want people to make an educated decision for their body. All right. And, and moving from vaccines to masks, should the government have a mask mandate for adults and or children? Never. Not okay. on airplanes. Nowhere. And I understand when COVID came out, we were all knee jerk reaction, didn't know what this was, fearful. And all of us were wearing masks. We didn't know what to do. And I get that. But we're two years out. And the medical research shows the masks do not help with COVID-19. The virus is so tiny. It's like throwing sand through a chain link fence. And I've heard that said by a medical doctor with frontline doctors and Dr. Simone Gold. And that's what the research shows. And so we have to look at the research and we have to really evaluate the insanity of walking around with a mask and what it's doing to our children in linguistics and what it's doing to us as humans and socialization and what it's doing for criminals to go into rob a bank with a mask on. And then the last question about COVID is, should the governor be issuing an executive order preventing masks in schools? I think that the governor should absolutely take the executive order stance that that's what it takes to get rid of them. They can also just get the code of ethics for the professional standards commission to issue something saying if you force children to wear a mask then it's a code of ethics violation they can do that without the, the eo 
you know, I think the executive order should be used cautiously and, and really with a lot of thought. I don't, I don't, I'm not one that would want to rule for it with an iron fist from a, from a pen, but absolutely you could do that to get it done quickly if that's what it took. But like I said, there's other ways to, to control what goes on in public schools. They're owned by the government and the people on the government. Okay. Well, let's move now to Georgia's economy. And this is a open-ended question about how you would approach Georgia's economy. And love for you to talk about both the business aspect and the agriculture aspect. Well, Georgia has the eighth strongest economy in the United States of America. We have a booming economy, and, and Brian Kemp didn't create that. That was done long before him. Georgia is the place to come do business. We have been for years, and we're also the place where everyone wants to come and live because we have beaches, and we have mountains, and we have big cities, and we have farmland, and we have everything in our state. We have a beautiful state. That's why China wants to destroy it, and Hollywood wants to Californianize it, and we know that. And we're fully aware, but we are in the Bible Belt and we're very conservative. And so small business is vital to the survival of our economy. It's the engine behind the economy. And we have a lot of tax breaks and things that are done for big manufacturing, which we welcome them as well. But we have to protect our small business. We have to put agriculture first. And agriculture is our number one revenue. It's billions of dollars, 80 billion a year. And we have to protect them and make sure, you know, Georgia not only feeds Georgia, we feed the world. And so we have to we have to know that agriculture is king and, and put that as a, in the forefront of our minds. I would love to see income tax be removed. I would want a board of economists around the table to look at this and see how it's going to affect our economy because our economy is so strong. But I see, you know, Texas and Florida that are even higher in strength than Georgia without income tax. And it makes me, you know, want to see that happen here. Because if I, I know me as a middle class, working class educator, and my husband is a teacher as well, we live on a budget. And if we have our income tax or our income taxes in our check, we're going to put that back into the economy and we're going to spend that money on vacation and on, on clothes for our children and on trips. And that's going to boost the economy even more. So I think, you know, all those things are, are interesting to talk about. I know there's other candidates that are running on, I'm eliminating income tax. I'm not saying I'm definitely going to eliminate it, but I'm, I would love to see it happen as me as a Georgian, but I want to look at the whole state and I want the professionals and the experts around the table to look at how it's going to affect Georgia's economy to make that shift. Okay, great. And uh, taxes were actually one of the topics we were going to discuss, so it flows right into that. Um, What about the corporate tax rate? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that earlier. I'm concerned about us giving all the corporate tax cuts to the to big corporations and not to the little man and you know restaurant industry is a very grueling industry and it's a needed needed industry especially in georgia in georgia we have so many people here that um are in different facets of society and 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 restaurants that are just the best in the country here in georgia but then they struggle you know if they're not a franchise especially the small man they they struggle with with bureaucracy and, and different demands and their what they have to overcome i've talked to restaurant owners all over the state about this and so we just that's one area of small business but of course you know you have the small department stores and gun shops and and place and, and all kind of businesses and we need to protect them and they should have benefit of ta- tax cut too and, and taxation not being so impossible for them and for their employees for them to pay 
for their employees whenever other big corporations get all the cuts. It's just, it doesn't seem fair. So it sounds like you want to widen the tax cuts so all the businesses see them and not not just certain ones. I want to do what's fair and I want to protect small business at all costs. And so whatever that's going to look like, we'll have the experts around the table to get it done. I'm not going to make promises that I'm not going to be able to uphold, but I will say that I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that we don't lose any more small businesses in Georgia. We had so many that closed during COVID that will never open their doors again. Okay. Well, in a, in a topic sort of adjacent to taxes, I want to talk about Georgia's fiscal surplus. Georgia has a fiscal surplus, fiscal surplus of approximately $3.7 billion. What, what should the government do with it? Well, first of all, they should use it for what it was uh, allocated for. We have sewage systems and broadband access that was put in the budget years ago under Brian Kemp. It hasn't happened. And it's excuse after excuse. They keep putting it off. And that's why big industry doesn't come down to to Southwest Georgia and other parts of the state that are rural because they don't have access to Internet. And, you know, as a big corporation, you have to have broadband access to be able to function as as a company. And so that's one huge issue that was promised in 2018 when he ran. Hasn't happened. Just like constitutional carry hasn't happened. And that's why I'm leery of making promises because I'm not a liar. So I'm a normal person and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And but broadband access has to happen. It should have already happened. The money's there and it's ridiculous. It's our money. It's our money. And they're sitting there sitting on it instead of putting it where it needs to be and where it's been promised to be. Where, where in what part of Georgia are you in? Southeast Georgia. Southeast Georgia. And that the, the broadband access, it just sounds like it isn't there. 50% of our students do not have access to the high-speed internet during COVID. That's, uh, that must have been just a tremendous problem for them, especially when schools were online. It was terrible. And thankfully, our school system opened up the following fall, and we did, have not closed since. We've not closed at all. And so, thankfully. But, you know, we went from March all the way to May, and graduation was canceled. Everything's canceled because of COVID. And no one was getting, they they were picking up packets and then you're scared to take the packets back because we didn't know what COVID was. And so they're, you know, could be contaminated and it was just, it was awful. It was terrible. And it's all because of broadband access. But now don't get me wrong. I do not believe virtual works. I think that it's something that people can do for a short period of time. I know a lot of homeschool programs use virtual learning. And when the students get older, it works somewhat. But you need that face-to-face interaction. And and, and parents that do homeschool, they do a lot of face-to-face with their children as well. It works. But if you just put kids on a computer and expect them to learn that way, that's not how learning is best facilitated. And so I'm... You know, it was very concerned anyway about putting kids on just the Internet and expecting them to get it. They need that face to face interaction and the interaction with their peers and, and social socialization, even working in group work and learning who, who takes the lead and and how you complement each other in a group setting. And that's what happens in corporate America and in small businesses whenever we get out in the real world to have a job. And those are skills that are irreplaceable that you learn from being in a classroom. OK, well, this provides a great transition to our topic of uh, education. And I have uh, two specific questions and then just 
wanted to ask you generally about school performance because as a, since you're a teacher, but the first question is with uh, CRT. Should CRT or elements of CRT be taught in school? And if not, how would you prevent it? Yeah, that's that's a no-brainer. You know, we don't teach children communism and we don't teach kids oppression. So they can call it critical race theory right now today, but it's, it's under many other names. The bottom line is we don't teach children to identify with each other by the color of their skin. I mean, we have gone back in time. Dr. King said... We, you know, we should judge people by the content of our character, not by the color of our skin. And that's what he was fighting for, for his own children years, decades ago. And now we're still having the same conversation because the mainstream media has us divided on it. So divisive, lying to us, tricking people into believing lies about division. And sure, there's elements of racism in society. We're human. We're not perfect. But we have come so far. And we know that. I mean, every color. It matter the tone and hue of our skin. We all have some brown pigment to our skin, just different levels. We all know how far we've came. And people that try to pander and lie and gaslight, we see right through them. And so it's unacceptable to take the innocence of a child and think that you're going to teach them and you're going to brainwash them and condition them to feel a certain way about another race. And it's unacceptable. It's not a curriculum issue. It is a morality issue. And it's easy to fix. I'll have it fixed first day. It will be a code of ethics violation if you're caught teaching this woke agenda to our children in any shape or fashion. You will be sanctioned with 90 days suspension. You won't get paid. Um, And then if you're caught again, you'll be your certificate will be pulled and you will be terminated. So if you have a mortgage and a house payment, a mortgage, a house payment, a car payment, which I promise you, educators do. You'll shut your mouth. I don't care how woke you are and how much you listen to CNN. You will hush. And that's what's going to happen in Georgia. We're not going to allow it. We're going to teach patriotism. We're going to teach the Constitution. We're going to empower children to be free thinkers and to have the American dream and and, and push for that for themselves. We're not going to do social emotional learning where they, and I have you know, PhD in counseling. I love counseling. I was a school counselor most of my career. But social emotional learning teaches children to be victimized. And to be narcissistic, it does not teach them to be free, freestanding on their own and critical thinkers. So we're not going to have that. We're not going to have comprehensive sex education that teaches perversion and steals innocence from kids, teaching them to self-pleasure at the age of five. That's criminal. And it's going to be criminalized in Georgia. Um, so the next question is common core. It's, you know, it's really been phased out in Georgia, but do you think that common core or elements thereof should be taught in school it's not been phased out they've renamed it so there's elements of common core right now in the georgia curriculum and it's going to go away totally we're getting away from that it's it's been awful i have two teenagers and i have a primary age child and i'm hopeful for my primary age child that he will get the education that he needs but my two teenagers they have gone through common core for their entire school career and their level of academic they're both gifted students high iqs and their level of academic performance is so much weaker and watered down than it was when i was in school that is ridiculous we are dumbing down america it's going to stop we're going to teach to the top we're going to take care of our special needs and we're going to be at the forefront of our SAT scores, our ACT scores, and moving forward. 
we will not have the state that we have will not even be close to the resemblance of what it is today if we don't get education right we're benefiting right now on millennials and people who have baby boomers and other generations who had a rigorous education system and Georgia doesn't have it right now. So what, what would you, what would you want to implement as governor? Well, when I started teaching, you know, 19 years ago, we had something called QCC objectives, but it allowed for teacher autonomy. And so teachers are the most educated people on the planet. They have to go back and get masters and specialists and doctorate degrees so they can get an increase in pay and so they can specialize in their field so they so they can teach and be really good at what they do. But yet we, we have all these programs we pay for from the state, shoveling money and programs and making the ki- teachers teach stuff they don't want to. It's scripted. It takes away their autonomy, their creativity and their passion. And so then they end up teaching a test because we're testing, testing, testing to the nth degree. Well, if all you're doing is teaching a test, There's nothing there to facilitate creativity and learning and the acceleration of children. And we're going to pull back on testing and we're going to give teacher autonomy back in curriculum. And that's going to happen all over the state. And we're going to be back on the forefront in education of the United States of America and Georgia. Well, great. I I know I appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners appreciate it as well to hear from a, a somebody who's sort of in the, in, the, in the ranks of the teachers and knows what's really going on, both not only as a teacher, but with our own children. Um, we're gonna, gonna switch topics to, to crime in Georgia. Um, it's, it's increasing definitely in Atlanta and in other big cities as well. How would you approach the sort of crime epidemic in Georgia? Yeah, poor leadership, it's poor respect um, from, from leadership in regard to their officers, it stems from the top. And we have people underpaid that are serving as a public service to protect us and serve and protect our law and make sure that we're free and we're safe and we don't respect these individuals. It is ridiculous. Now, they're bad apples in every bunch. There's teachers that go for a paycheck and they don't, they're not passionate. And they really don't care about children and they're far and few between. And that happens in law enforcement as well. You know, they may do a couple bad takedowns or they have a bad experience that was traumatic and they're experiencing PTSD and they're desensitized and then they make a bad call. And that's why it's so important to have the emotional and mental health support there when there is a bad takedown or there is a taser, you know, situation or a a shooting or whenever someone's watched someone die and, and there's been a very bad you know, homicide or, or hostage situation. That's why it's important that we're assessed and we go through those mental health assessments to make sure they're fit for duty. You know, my parents both worked and retired from a nuclear power plant and they had to have psychological evaluations and they had to have those ongoing and make sure every employee does to be fit for duty and make sure that you are not going to go into that nuclear power plant and purposefully do something that could cause thousands of deaths because it's that critical when you're working with nuclear power well to me you're walking around with a gun on your hip to protect and serve it's important that you're fit for duty as well it's not hard to fix it's not hard to weed these people out but the ones that are there and they're there serving and protecting us we have to respect them it's so important that children from all the way up through school are taught that they're here to serve and protect. They're not here to come and intimidate you and arrest you. There shouldn't be a fear there that, 
oh, they're going to arrest me. They're against me. They're working against me. There should be a healthy respect that, yes, if I break the law, I'm going to be handcuffed and I'm going to go to jail. But we have to know, and the kids have to understand, these people are here to protect you. They're your ally. If something happens to you, you're going to call 911 and you're going to want them to be able to show up. So that's first and foremost what I want to see happen, preventive and for us to be relational and understand, and that will change the fabric, fabric, fabric of Georgia and the fabric of society and how we view law enforcement, and how law enforcement interacts with people. And as for the crime that's increased in Atlanta and increased around the big cities in Georgia, it's not hard to fix at all. And if we have to call in reinforcements through the National Guard or if we have to do a state guard, which is what I want to see happen, they say we have one, but it's affiliated with the National. I want a total state guard that's separate from the national government because Georgia's sovereign and our state is important. We protect our morality and our constitution and our beliefs. And we have to do that to protect our freedom. So I want to see a state guard. And if that state guard has to come in to help get things under wraps, that's what happens. It's not going to be difficult to do. I had a GBI agent raise me. I've been around law enforcement my whole, my whole life. And I, I support them hundred percent. And I also support, you know, people that interact with them and get arrested unjustly. I support them as well. And we have to get rid of that mentality in our society. And we can. It's totally fixable. Okay, great. And we have we have two more topics before it's sort of open to you. Uh, and the first is Medicaid expansion. Stacey Abrams, who would be your, your opponent should you win the nomination, has stated that Medicaid expansion is a top priority for her. Where do you stand on this issue? Yeah, I want to ask her why. Because I actually work with children and I've sat down and done Medicaid forms and peach care forms with parents. I've never seen a kid denied Medicaid that was impoverished and needed it. Never. Now, I've seen them re- re- you know, refuse when they, their parents made too much money and it was too much money. It was like a beginning teacher salary. But I've never seen a kid denied Medicaid who needed it. I don't know what she wants to expand it for. Is she meaning governmental health care for everybody? Because we saw how Obamacare worked. We see the, the, the terrible shape our health care is in now. When you take capitalism out of a system, it falls apart. We want less government overreach, not more. Okay, great. And the last topic, um, something that you talked about at the beginning of the beginning of the program would be just issues of election integrity in the 2020 election. Uh, what you feel about these topics and what you would want to pursue as governor? Well, the people of Georgia want paper ballots, thumbprint recognition, photo ID, same day voting, like the Constitution says. If it has to be a state holiday, we make it a state holiday. I don't care if you wait in line two hours. It's that important to vote. It's the highest right of our land. Without our right to vote secure, we have no country. So the thumbprint recognition software is very inexpensive. We've paid all these millions of dollars that we didn't agree to for, for a system that we don't trust now and we don't need it hooked up to the internet we don't need any suspicion of ballot phantom voters being shoved in the machines or or fake or fake ballots or dead people voting or whatever and there's so many things that's endless i could talk about that we've researched and investigated over the past year and a half 
And this issue is something that can be fixed seamlessly, no problem. I did testing coordination for years in public school, over a decade. And we would have every single test, every Scantron answer sheet, every unused test booklet, every damaged test booklet to the penny, right? Mm-hmm. To the item. It's, it's an accounting issue. So you, you account for every single one. You submit every one of them back to the state. If, you miss, if you're missing a test, it's an ethics violation. You know, you can be arrested. There were people arrested for eraser marks thinking they had cheated on standardized testing in Georgia. Now that happens 10 years ago, but now we have an election that was seemingly hijacked and nothing was done. No accountability. It's not something that can't be fixed. It's easily fixed. So if they don't want to fix it, is it because they know they can't control it any longer? I mean, that's my question. Why would you not want it to be fair legal? Why are you making it so complicated? Why are you making it so complex? I know more about elections than I ever wanted to know. And it's a smoke and mirrors farce. And it's ridiculous. And the people of Georgia are outraged. I'm recommending, I'm voting on absentee. I'm voting, I'm going to get my absentee ballot. I'm going to mark it. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to hand deliver it to the Board of Elections office the day of the election, not precincts. They won't accept it, but they have to receive it at the Board of Elections in your county on election day. That's the Georgia law. I'm going to vote that way. I don't trust the machines. So that's what I'm going to do. But if you choose to vote on the machine and and you do the ballot marking device, when you print your paper, it prints out the paper, make sure you check the paper because there are people that signed affidavits for me that they voted for me for U.S. Senate and it came out another name. So make sure that you actually check it and make sure that you cast the vote for the person you chose. And then I would like to see every county count the paper for the absentees and for the ballot marking device ballots and make sure that lines up with the tabulator tapes. Because then we have an accounting procedure to ensure that the total numbers that the Secretary of State comes up with matches. Those are not hard things. Those are not things that are impossible and it's common sense. We've got to get back to common sense and voting and secure it. It's, it's interesting to compare the, uh, the the tests in schools and how those are kept versus how the how the election has been kept. To to find out during the election that let's say the voter election cards were were lost and somehow miraculously appeared, um, it's, it's troublesome. It is. And, you know, as an educator, we would be crucified. Literally, we would be, it would be a code of ethics violation. We'd have the PSC down here. We would be suspended. We would be suspended without pay. We could even be handcuffed and arrested. But yet the highest right of our land is swept under the, under the rug. It's, it is complete insanity. I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Okay. Well, I've, we've gone through all of the questions that were, that I'm planning to ask all of the candidates. I wanted to talk now about issues that, that you wanted to talk about. And I have a couple in mind just from, from reading about you. Um, and that first would be uh, constitutional carry. You mentioned that beforehand. So constitutional carry and guns. Yeah, that was promised in 2018. It's a no-brainer. It should have already happened. Hasn't happened yet. And well, it's gonna... let, me, let me back up. If you could explain constitutional carry to the, to the listeners. Yeah, sure. So the Constitution says that the Second Amendment, our right to bear arms, shall not be infringed upon. That means that anyway, the government should not tell us any regulation on guns. It shouldn't tell us how many we can buy, how much ammunition we can have, and 
if we can carry them in public, if we can carry them to the store, it shall not be infringed upon. We have a right to protect ourselves and, and our person and a, and, a, and a right to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. So now we have in Georgia where you have to have a carrying permit if you're going to concealed carry. You can open carry. They can see the gun, but if you're going to conceal carry like me, I carry in my pocketbook all the time. I carry under my shirt and, and don't show that I'm carrying all the time. I'm always carrying, unless I'm at work where it's illegal for me to carry in a school. So the point is, we shouldn't have to have a carrying permit. You, you apply for a gun, you have to do a background check before you can purchase the gun. So when you want to do concealed carry, you have to go to the courthouse and go to the probate court, fill a form out. To go to the sheriff's office, get fingerprinted, get background check done. And then they, you have to pay a couple hundred dollars and they mail you a carrying card, carrying permit bag. looks like a driver's license for you to be able to legally care, conceal carry. And, you know, I probably will always have that because I want reciprocity when I go to other states that, that offer, you know, where you carry there, conceal carry, but you shouldn't have to have it. So what the, what the, um, constitutional carry does it makes it where the constitution's enough well it should be it's not something we should have to have because the constitution is enough but it's something that we do because we've had restrictions put on our gun rights and so constitutional carry would mean that you can carry concealed without a carrying permit and what would your response be to those who say that the 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 permitting process for for concealed carry makes things more safe show me the research it's not there. No one that goes into a school and shoots a school up or to a public place and shoots a, and shoots a public place up or does armed robbery. None of those people have carrying permits. Look up the statistics. It's not there. So how would it help a criminal that's not going to get a carrying permit anyway from committing a crime that they're going to commit? Because they don't have a carrying permit. It doesn't make sense. It's total idiocracy. So. I know the research, I've done the research, and the people that say that are just trying to fumble for anything to justify inhibiting our gun rights, and it's, it's ridiculous. So I would tell them to pull the facts up. Let's look, let's look at every case where there's someone committed a crime and, and show me their carrying permit. Okay. Okay. Uh, I know another topic that you're, you're, you're passionate about is, uh, is abortion. Um, would you like to talk about that? Sure. We're going to quit killing babies in Georgia. We're going to shut down this, these abortion clinics. We're going to shut down every single one. The f- child, you know, they want to say the fetus, the fetus, that fetus is a baby. It's a human life. And they have a right to live and pursue happiness. And we are killing, we are murdering. You're having to cut the base of the spine, suck the brains out to kill them, to abort them. And that's painful to hear, but it's what's happening. In Georgia, and the blood is on our hands because we've not stopped it. We know that children can live at 21 weeks gestation out from the mother. They're pregnant 40 weeks. So half the pregnancy now, medical science has progressed enough where we can make a baby live. Children have heartbeat within the first few weeks of conception. And they did the heartbeat bill, and that was passed, and that was a great initiative the problem with the heartbeat bill is that if you don't go in and get the heartbeat taken through a Doppler or through a sonogram, you can still abort the baby. So the heartbeat bill did not stop abortion, but we're going to stop abortion totally in Georgia. And people that say, oh, well, what if you're raped? Well, 
first of all, if you're right, that's less than 1% of the abortions is due to rape. Most people that have rape keep the baby. So it's really a non-issue. But I will tell you that I have a good friend who's a counselor who brings healing to family. She's a Christian counselor. She's phenomenal. Um, my parents were having some marital problems and she helped them tremendously. And I have another friend who her brother committed suicide and she got so depressed. She helped her tremendously. This lady is the result of a rape and her mother chose to keep her. And so there's purpose in every child and it's not for us to play God and make that decision. Okay. So as governor, how would you, how would you make abortions illegal? Well, I'm going to pitch to the legislators and I'm going to get them to vote on it. And if they don't, then we'll sign an executive order and get it stopped. It's murder. Okay. Um, are there any other topics that, that you'd like to discuss? Well, <laughs> speaking of abortion, we can talk about my slogan, Jesus, Guns, and Babies, that's gone viral on Twitter. And it has been a yeah, wild... It has been a wild week this week, actually. Apparently, Jesus, guns, and babies are three words that trigger the left and make them very angry, along with the Constitution and maybe truckers. But anyway, it has been a full-out onslaught of memes of Jesus blowing the heads off babies and all kind of disgusting things that have been put out. And it has been blown my mind, I guess, because I live in Georgia and we're in the Bible Belt and we're so conservative and there's people from other countries and people from other states that are very liberal doing all this. And it's just, it's crazy to me. I, I'm, my mind has been blown. So I've been praying for them and praying that here in the name of Jesus will we'll convict their hearts somehow and maybe they will come to know him. But the, the, the slogan represents our constitution, the First Amendment right of freedom of religion. And that we have a country so we can worship Jesus freely. And I have people that are atheists and people that are Muslim and Jewish that, that follow me and support me. They don't have a problem with me saying Jesus because they know that I'm telling them who I am. And I'm going to respect who they are. Jesus is a gentleman. He would never push himself on anybody. But the left just twists and contorts everything that's good. And then the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms, which is guns. And we can't have a country without that. Look at Australia. They gave their gun rights up. They gave their guns up. And now they're having a terrible time in concentration camps over there for COVID. It's ridiculous and can't leave. Can't leave the porches. And then babies and the right to pursue happiness. As I mentioned earlier, that if we don't allow children to be born and pursue happiness and we murder them, that's, that's infringing on their right to live. So my slogan represents the fabric of our society, but yet I'm being slammed on it so hard. And so I just wonder, do these people really want to live in America? They want to change America and make it something different than go to a country that's already that way. But you don't get to come here and change us. This is our country. And we're not going to change our constitution and who we are and why we were founded to fit your ridiculous ideology. Have, have various news outlets uh done stories on your slogan and and if they had have have they asked you for comment yeah i've been doing them nonstop for days so yes it's been a whirlwind and i've actually earlier today had a comedian that reached out and lied about who he was and her false pretense to get me in a zoom call and tried to 
make fun of me and make fun of the slogan and mock Jesus. And he ended up looking very foolish. It was about a four minute conversation. And um, he got off pretty quickly because I think he, I don't know if he didn't think I was highly intelligent. I'm like, guy got a PhD and I love Jesus and you're not funny. So I, I don't know. It's, it's been a crazy experience. I'm going to tell you. Well, I'm, I'm sure that viewers will love to to look at some of these. Can they can they see them on your website or just sort of sort of Google it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I post all my interviews on social media and then on okay. my website too. So yeah, CandiceTaylor.com. It's K-A-N-D-I-S-S Taylor.com. Y'all go check me out. Donate $25. Help me. We're going to take our, we're going to take our state back. Schumer said, there goes Georgia. There goes the United States of America. Believing Georgia is vital to the survival of our union. Okay. Well, and is there any updates for your campaign? Are you, you're starting a bus tour tomorrow? Is that correct? I'm on my second phase of my bus tour. I've already done three days and we're starting another three days tomorrow. We're going to oh, leave in a few funny. minutes and head that way. Yep. It's exciting. So how many, how many places have you been? We've been to about 30 um, already. We're going to go to 30 more. So we'll be hit about 60 counties this week. That's, that's tremendous. It must be great to be able to just go out there and meet the people and, and really, really do the retail politics. That's why I'm running is for the people. And, you know, last night I was speaking at an event and after it was over, there were about 10 candidates there, none for governor, but everybody saw these people come up to me and Candace, can I pray with you? Yes, please pray with me and crying. Like I've been, I've been praying for you every single day and we have to have you, we have to get somebody normal and somebody that's going to really care about us and represent us. And, just the response of the people. And, and this one lady, she said, I've, I've worked three jobs. I've never been to a political event, but I saw you're going to be here. I had to come here and tell you that I love you and I'm praying for you. And thank you for sacrificing and doing this. And that's why it's worth it. Well, that's great. That's great. And uh, just to finish up, if you could just once again, see your website and, and how people can get involved and, and what you're looking for from the people. Yeah, CandiceTaylor.com, K-A-N-D-I-S-S, Taylor.com. And y'all can go get involved and sign up to be a volunteer. We have thousands of volunteers that are foot soldiers. They are door knocking, making phone calls, doing fundraising. And I'd love to have you on my team. And I would love to have any support that you can give. We've put out yard signs everywhere. They're like $5 a piece. So any support you can give financially, that would be great. We're a grassroots campaign. And we're going we're gonna to win. It's going to rock the whole country. Well, thanks so much, Candace. Really appreciate you joining us. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you next time on Advancing the Agenda.